that'll do for notices. So let's move on to our reading. As we've already said, we're in Romans 5. And we're reading from verse 12 to the end. And it says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who is a type of the one who is to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, for much, much more have the grace of God, and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the, that one man's sin, for the judgment, following one trespass, brought condemnation. But the free gift, following many trespasses, brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, in a moment, we're going to have a look at that passage. But before we do, there's just a few things to mention. The first is there'll be an opportunity to ask questions or make comments in light of the things that we've been thinking about. And that all takes place in the chat, on the YouTube chat. And I'll explain more about that when we come to it. There's also a sermon outline that can be found in the description. You can download that and use that or ignore that at your will. And then finally, and most importantly, we can ask God to help us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the great provider. You are the generous Father. And you give good gifts to your children. And yet before those gifts can be given, you first need to give the ultimate gift. The free gift that's given through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, this morning as we reflect on these things, we would see 
the implications of what it means to belong to the second Adam who has given this free gift by grace so that we might have eternal life. Amen. There's one thing that we can all be certain of. But unfortunately, this one thing that we can all be certain of is the the most terrible part of life. The one thing that we can be certain of is that everyone, without exception, will die. Death is certain. No one will argue on this point. It is something that's impossible to deny. In the fluid world in which we now live, where people choose to identify however they wish, there is one exception. The dead never identify as living. As much as they may like to, they can't. Because death is certain. There is an objectivity to death that really isn't up for debate. Death is a terrible part of life. And it's certain. The question is, can there be any way in which the certainty of death, as terrible as it is, actually provides us with some comfort? With an assurance? Can the certainty of death provide us with a guarantee? Now, bizarre as all this may seem, this is what we're going to be considering this morning. Today we find ourselves at the end of Romans 5. And Paul's categories have changed from when he began this letter. When Paul begins Romans, he has two groups of people in mind. There's the Jew... And there's the Gentile. But Paul's argument so far, he has made it clear that though the Jew have an advantage because they've been given the law of God, they along with the Gentiles are under the same condemnation of God. However, Paul has explained that God has provided a sacrifice that will propitiate that is to say, appease God's anger so that Jew or Gentile can be reconciled to God through faith in Christ. Which means Paul has now introduced two different categories 
as his argument continues to progress. Now, the first group, <clears throat> well, they belong to Adam. And the second group, well, they belong to Christ. <clears throat> Paul begins with the first group. Adam is the first man. He's the representative of the whole of humanity, whether Jew or Gentile. Though the Israelites were God's special nation, ultimately all nations belong to God because they all come from Adam and God created Adam. Paul begins by take, talking about what it means to belong to Adam. As representative of all humanity, when Adam transgressed against God's word, sin enters the world as does death. His sin, as representative, impacts humanity universally. And so we see why death is certain. Paul also explores very briefly the giving of the law. What's interesting is when we think of the law, we think of it as a means by which sin can be subdued. But that isn't the reason Paul gives here. Adam's sin was a transgression. A transgression directly against the command given to him by God. If you eat of the tree, you will surely die. Now everyone who's between Adam and Moses lived under the reign of death. But their sin wasn't the same as Adam in as far as they didn't transgress against a command given them by God. But when the law was given through Moses, the sin was like the transgression of Adam in that what they do is rebellion to a direct command given to them by God. So the law doesn't subdue sin, rather it makes sin all the more serious. Paul then makes a comparison, but it isn't really a comparison. It is a comparison as far as there are those who belong to Adam and there are those who belong to Christ. Adam acts and his acts have implications for all those he represents. So to Jesus, he acts and his act has implications for all those who he represents. But that's where the similarities end. After this, Paul goes to great lengths to extol the superior nature of Jesus' act in contrast to Adam's inferior act. 
Throughout our passage, Paul describes Jesus' act as a gift. And here what we've got is Paul referring to Jesus' work on the cross, the laying down of his life, the raising from the dead, which Paul has explained earlier, has served as a propitiation, that is to say, has appeased God's anger against us and has brought us peace with God. Then Paul explains how the free gift of Christ is not like the trespass of Adam. And the first contrast is found in the certainty of death that we began to explore at the introduction. Did Adam's act have the impact that was claimed? Well, we really couldn't be more sure because death is certain. It's all around us. It's a part of life that really isn't up for debate. Paul then uses his how much more argument. If the implications of Adam's act is certain, how much more will the implications of Jesus' free gift be certain? Now here we find ourselves in that realm of the creator's solution to the undermining problem that is the fall. God's initiative to solve this problem will not miss the mark. Just as his word, if you eat of the tree you will surely die, was true, how much more will he set out to achieve through the laying down of his son also be certain. If his word brought the world into existence, God spoke and it was so, if the next time he spoke it was to give the single command that if you eat of the tree you will die, then that word has the same certainty as the word that brought the world into existence. But then if God sends his son into the world through the one through whom he created the world, and if he lays down his life to fulfill the condemnation found in that first word spoken, then we can be certain that sin is dealt with. Because the free gift has been made. The second contrast Paul makes is found in verse 16b. All I've done is divided verse 16 into two sections, A and B. Let's have a look. It says this. So, for the judgment, following one trespass brought condemnation but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification now this verse is a stroke of genius but it doesn't quite do what we expect it to 
But what it does achieve is it once again demonstrates the superiority of the free gift. Now, just to help me explain this, I've broken the verse up. And you'll be able to see that on your screens. So that's all 60, verse 16b. And I've broken it down into six clauses. And you'll notice how the indentations work. So the first word, the first clause, you've got for the judgment. And that's all the way on the left, aligned with but the free gift. And then indented by one, you've got following one trespass which is lined up with following many trespasses. And then indented by two, you've got brought condemnation, brought justification. So those three bits are aligned, are paralleled, if you like. So let me explain what's going on here. Naturally, I think we expect Adam's trespass to be paralleled with Christ's free gift and then the condemnation to parallel the justification but in order to demonstrate the full extent of the free gift Paul aligns things up slightly differently and what Paul is doing is coming at the same event but from different a different angle so what Paul does is he parallels the judgment of Adam at the top with the free gift of Christ, the two that are furthest to the left. And then parallels how Adam's judgment brought condemnation while the free gift of Christ brings justification. Now the important thing is here is, is that the condemnation was response a response to a single trespass. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Whereas once again Christ's achievement is presented as far superior because the justification he achieves is after a multitude of trespasses. But the free gift, following many trespasses, brought justification. The verse comments on the magnitude that has to be dealt with. The judgment of Adam is a response to a single sin, and it leads to condemnation. But the magnitude of the free gift is much greater because it doesn't deal with a single sin, it responds to many sins. But such is the power of the free gift that it can deal with a multitude and isn't restricted to one. In place of condemnation comes justification. Once again, we have this idea that the certainty of death was established after one trespass, while now a free gift has been given 
that's so much greater because it's able to cover many trespasses. It's a strange thing to suggest that the certainty of death could provide us with any sense of assurance or guarantee. And yet the condemnation of humanity to death was a result of a direct transgression of God's word. Which means the death that happens every day is a reminder that God has remained true to the words that he spoke so many years ago at the beginning of creation. This certainty that everyone who belongs to Adam will die then provides us with a framework so that we can understand what it will mean to belong to God's new Adam. God's new Adam is a man who bears the true image of God. He is a man who obeys where the first Adam failed. He is a man who can meet the creation purposes that Adam compromised. He is a representative that instead of seeking his own glory, seeks God's glory. This Adam doesn't disobey God. This Adam obeys God. This Adam doesn't bring death into the world. This Adam dies so that death can be defeated. And he lays down his life for all those he will go on to represent. You see, there's a lot of certainty for what it means to belong to the first Adam. But all of that actually pales into insignificance. When you think of who the new Adam is and what he has achieved. Paradoxically, death and eternal life are linked. The certainty of death provides us with a unquantifiable guarantee that the free gift initiated by God the Father and achieved by his Son is beyond certain. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the certainty of your word. We see that as we look around us and see your creation. When you spoke, it happens. We even thank you for the certainty of your word, that when you spoke, and if you eat of the tree, you will surely die, that it too happened. 
although we reflect on that with heavy hearts, we see how this actually provides us with a guarantee that when you make the promise that if we trust in your son who laid down his life and became a means by which our your anger could be appeased we trust in him knowing that it's not foolhardy knowing that it's not something to doubt or be wary of but simply there's nothing we could be more certain about amen well i mentioned at the start that there would be an opportunity for sermon uh, for questions after the sermon in light of what we've been thinking about here's how this works so we have the live chat and if you wish you can put a cue in the live chat and that just means that you've got a question but you haven't typed it yet and you just want a bit of time to type it so you can relax and type your question without feeling pressured to get that in before we move on because in a moment we move we'll move on we're going to spend a bit of time in reflection we take this a step further and then we're going to sing a song and then we'll close but before we do that this is question time this is your opportunity it's not your only opportunity obviously you can ask uh, questions later on in the zoom um, and of course you can discuss these things with one another um, but now's a good time to share your questions so that we can all see it and it will also be recorded for prosperity uh, is that the right word for the future Simon's got a question excellent cheers Simon as we wait for Simon to ask his question do feel free um, to put your question in as well as in um, don't hold back and wait for Simon's question to come in because it all takes a bit of time to come through and I'll just answer them in order and we've got another question coming in from Katie Okay, so Simon's questions come in. Can you please explain verse 20 more? Okay, let's have a... Oh, hang on. We'll hold off for a sec. I think, yeah, it looked like Simon had a bit more to say in it. Maybe sent it a little bit too early. I, um, yeah. It gives me a little bit of a heads up though. Start having to look at, have a look at verse 20.
Okay, the message is coming from Katie. So we'll come back to Simon's in a bit. Can you explain verse 13? Particularly not counted. I'm a bit confused by this verse. Okay, yes, yeah, sure. This could end up relating to Simon's question, possibly. So let's have a quick look. So verse 13 said, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. If we go on to verse 14, just to help us out. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So... Let's just pop down to, uh, yeah, let's, let's just leave it there. Okay, so let's have a think about this. So, we mentioned this in passing in the sermon, but when Adam sinned, it was in the context of God gave him a command. If you eat of the tree, you will surely die. So God has directly spoken to Adam and and when that happens, when that's given to him, his position is to either obviously obey that direct command or disobey that direct command. And of course, as we see things unfold, he his response to it is to disobey the direct command that was given to God. So that's the essence of the trespass that Adam committed. Now after that point, there is no direct command, as it were. So if you think in terms of well, if you think it's quite simply, the next thing to happen, you're kind of in the, that, that phase, you, you know, you're moving on to Cain and Abel. So there is no direct command not to kill, but it's not something that should be done. And then you've got, um, I'm, maybe I'm teasing this out a little bit too much, but anyway, you go to Noah, and obviously God's not happy with the people, but it's not that they're rebelling against a direct idea a direct command so the sin is different we could possibly tease out from Romans 1 18 to 32 that this idea that instead of rebelling against a direct command they are replacing the glory of God the part of the creation so it's more of a um, that sort of rebellion as opposed to the rebellion against a direct command. Then when we move on to verse 14, oh no, so then when, when the law is then given, all of a sudden the people now have direct commands from God. 
which means what they do is more like the sin of Adam than those in between Abraham, Adam and Moses. So let's go back to verse 13. 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. So they did rebel against God, but not against a direct command. So the sin was not counted where there is no law. And it does take us to verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So you've got this parallel going on with those two bits. So that when law com the law comes, there's now a direct command that people can either obey or disobey. And of course, they chose to disobey. So now the transgression of the people under the law becomes like that of Adam. I feel like I, that could have been explained a lot easier. Um, but I hope that makes sense. So you've got Adam rebelling against a direct command. And then until the law comes, there's no direct command to rebel against. But people are still sinning in the sense. So it's not counted against them until the law comes. But they're still under death. So obviously there's still sin happening because they're still being punished and condemned by death as representatives of Adam, as people who all sinned, then the law comes in and that makes it more, it's all the more serious again because now it's in the same um, sense as Adam. I hope that makes sense. Let's have a quick look at Simon's. Hi Tom, can you please explain verse 20? Does it mean trespass is exposed more or brought more to account? So yeah, let's have a look then. Now the law came in to increase the trespass because where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Yeah, so uh, um, it, this completely relates to Katie's question. So this is the idea that um, the law comes and that means now the nature of the sin is not just Romans 1, 18 to 32 in that they are given the glory that's due to God to part of his creation but rather now they're like Adam denying a direct command given from God and therefore the trespass is all the more serious I hope that makes sense It's an interesting, um, I I kind of got caught out with this as I was studying it, as I was preparing it, because I kind of put that comment about the law, we, we made a fleeting comment in the sermon at the start, then I realised it kind of comes back to it at the end. So those two bits, they do relate to one another. Um, you get those two bits twice. Okay, there's been no other questions come through. Now's your chance if you want to ask another question quickly uh, before we move on just give you one moment otherwise we will move on to the reflection
Okay, I'll assume everyone's happy. Oh, now we've got a question coming from Nikki. Or at least Nikki's household. Okay, so we've got how are we to understand people's people's trespass today who do not know God's law. So I think this takes us back to Romans 1, 18 to 32. Um, And I think it's worth, it's probably worth affirming that the the law obviously was never, was only ever intended for the people of Israel. Now, what that would have looked like, as in, I mean, things weren't going to go differently, but if the people of Israel hadn't rebelled, and I guess people were included into their nation, then obviously it would have been inclusive of everyone, but that wasn't to happen. Um, and obviously everything got reduced down to the remnant of one so it was obviously Jesus who obeyed his father so that's how the law is fulfilled in the sense that Israel is synonymous with Jesus as the servant in Isaiah he's picked up as the servant and you think is this servant Israel or is this servant an individual and of course when Jesus comes he represents Israel and he's an individual and it's him who lays down his life and obeys his father and in through that the law is fulfilled but more generally the Gentiles fit into the category that we find in Romans 1 18 to 32 and we can we can take that to include everyone now. So basically the position, well, let's read, well, let's read from verse 18 to about 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. So the way that humanity rebels against God is idolatry. Those things that pertain to him, that we should give him the glory for, we give them to parts of creation. Whether that's ourselves or even a process like evolution 
or when we start talking in terms of mother nature whatever that might be it's taking that which god deserves and giving it to part of his creation i mean it's a nonsense and that's you know that's kind of where paul starts and then builds from there so as we've seen here as well that means they're without excuse so they are culpable and of course we've gone back before and seen although as we've been saying today adam is in is commits a trespass because it's a direct um, sin against God's command it's through idolatry that he does that so it's how he thinks about God he thinks God isn't trustworthy God isn't faithful God won't keep his word and therefore he takes from the fruit so ultimately everything comes down to idolatry in that broader sense let's just have a quick look Nathan's put is it fair to say that when we preach the gospel to people they are then more culpable as they are directly rebelling against God's commands or is it more just an extension of Romans 1 18 to 32 yeah I mean I think I I guess the I mean I think as we're getting a little bit you know I guess we want to be careful not to get a bit too bogged down in Romans 5 12 to 21 you know if we want to know about what sin looks like probably Romans 5 12 to 21 isn't the place to go this is not how we think in terms of um, you know this is not Paul's explanation of original sin this is not Paul's explanation of how we think about sin this is Paul's explanation of, of the free gift and how that relates to and is superior to man's uh, adams the first representatives first trespass so while it's there it's not our first place to go if you see what i mean we're not going to build a theology on idolatry or a theology on sin or original sin from this passage because we haven't quite that's not what paul's explaining here so i think We've got to have everything that's come before, Romans 1, 18 to 32, and Romans 2 in place. And then that freezes up when we get to Romans 5, 12 to 21 to think about what that's talking about, given we know everything that's come before. So Paul's established in Romans 1 and 2 that Jew and Gentile alike are culpable. I think what Adrian's done in Acts has been quite helpful. So he's made the distinction between the Jew and Gentile, or at least we see that in Acts, in that back in the day, the Jew was to repent because they crucified God's Messiah. But he couldn't set, take that same message to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were told to repent because of their idolatry so 
I don't think we need to. Um, I, yeah, I don't think we need to take people to the law and say to them, "You've rebelled against the law, therefore you're more culpable," because ultimately the law's not ours to obey. It's from a different phase of redemptive history. It was given to the Jews, and that's been superseded. Romans one eighteen thirty two. That's the foundation of of what it means to sin, rebel against God. It's that idolatry, and in one sense, trespassing of the law just builds upon that. You know, when the law is given, that's greater. I hope that makes sense. So. I think Romans 1, 18-32 is extremely helpful because it's thinking in terms of idolatry, which is super helpful because that's a catch-all, probably not appropriate, but you know that's that is what God says. Everyone is culpable. And remember, when we get when we did Romans 1, 18-32, on the one hand, we could say you know Paul starting with the Gentile and then moving to the Jews, but the Jews are under that same umbrella. Um, you know, this is, in one sense, you could say Genesis one eighteen thirty two is talking about Adam and his children, who've all um, rebelled against God, which includes the Jews. Let's leave it there. I hope that's been brought a bit of clarity. I and I don't. I think yeah, this is these are these are difficult questions and and kind of how the law fits in and how idolatry works and all that. This is stuff worth, you know, let's keep teasing it out and thinking about it.